This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take plays, films, and more that have never been staged before, or are never likely to be staged again, and talk about how we'd stage them. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. Hello. We're, we're remote again. Not in person. Yeah. Oh. Oh. We sad, return to the remote land. <laughs> Although, perhaps for better better audio quality because of it. Yeah, we'll, I think so. <laughs> we hope. Um, but this week we are joined by a director, dramaturg and facilitator whose recent credits include assistant director of South Pacific and director of Pinocchio at Chichester Festival Theatre. It's Bobby Brooke. Hello. Hello. Good evening. How are you? I'm very well. How are you guys? Good. Good. So you're working on Pinocchio right now? I am indeed. Yes, we are about four weeks away from finishing rehearsals. Uh, which is utterly terrifying because um, it still feels like we've got a whole play to make, which I'm sure isn't the case. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's all it's happening. There will be yeah. a play by the 18th of December, which is when we open. So, yeah. And this is the just a youth theatre production. It is. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, hence having four weeks left um, of rehearsals just because we do it part time, obviously, because they still have to go to school. Apparently, that's a legal requirement. Yeah. So, this, uh, so yeah, we have to do it. Uh, bloody union! <laughs> big hit, big hit of nostalgia for me because I was at just festival youth theatre. No um, way! Yeah, yeah, and um, and I did a production. Oh man, when was that? Twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen? I did the witches. Brilliant! So oh, what a is, play! Yeah, yeah, it's exciting Great. to hear about how it's going now. Yeah, it's all, it's just, it's huge. Basically, it's just huge. That's, that's all I'm going to say. There's, I've got 68 of them and it's a lot. It's big. Oh, that's so exciting. Because you were saying to us just before we started recording that this is not the first time this production has been put on at Chichester in the last couple of years. No, it is not. No, so we did it last year. I was associate on it last year. And um, because of the pandemic, we we were able to make the show happen, but we had to reduce the size of the company. So we had two separate companies um, who were not allowed to interact with each other, which sounds really awful. Um, it was basically segregation of children. Um, but just due to the pandemic, we had to keep them in separate bubbles. So we had two companies of about 30 young people in each one. Um, and yeah, we just had to adhere to all of the social distancing and we couldn't share props. So we had to have doubles of props made and we had to find interesting conceits to to find ways to hand props over to other actors on stage without actually handing over the the thing. Um, yeah, and we couldn't have any physical touch. And there was, you know, it's quite frustrating when you have a play with quite a lot of stage directions that say they hug and you can't <laughs> hug. Um, so yeah, so it's really nice this year that we've got, not only have we, more than doubled the company um but we are able to actually hug and share props and do all of the usual stuff that you can do in in theater which is great oh awesome, awesome. that's uh, that sounds like such a good tagline for uh for for the play pinocchio now with hugging. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, and there's quite a lot of it. There's a lot of hugging. It's if you, if you're into toxic masculinity, you're not going to like it because there's lots of boy on boy hugging. So um, so yeah. So as long as you you're not offended oh, no. by that, then um, come along. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're really into toxic masculinity, probably skip this one. But everyone yeah. else, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's to be fair. If you well, if you are into toxic masculinity, you might like this play actually uh, <laughs> that, we're, that we're about to stage. Um, yeah. So yeah, but Bobby, for the first time in a long time, you've uh, for on this podcast, you've brought us uh, a play, mm. uh, and that play is called Rossum's Universal Robots by. Carol Capek, I want I to say, think, but I, I have no Chapek. idea if I pronounced oh, that. Yeah, Ah, uh, Chapek. Right. I've I've got almost no background on this. Caleb, this is normally the bit where you tell everyone who's in the play and in the film. So, do you have any background information? If not, maybe we can ask. Bobby. I don't have very much. So it's um, Carol Chapek was a Czech writer, and he wrote this in 1920, and it was this is the first use of the word robot ever. Wow. Yes. And so and so it's kind of had that huge impact on like us socially and on like the world of science fiction and science fiction writing. And then this is like a kind of this is a thing that like Chapek returned to in a later play as well, the same theme but like with a more sort of positive slant in that one as well. And Michael Billington, Guardian journalist, crit, you know, critic, theater critic for the Guardian, wrote a piece this year about how this show needs to be restaged. <gasps> so Did he? Yeah, I just I didn't in, know I was, that. I was doing a bit of research, and he, yeah, he's written a piece like literally a couple months ago, being like, "This is a show for our time, and it it should be uh should be readapted." So, wow. yeah, pretty well, big stuff. Um, Bobby, what what made you choose this this play? <laughs> so, um, I did a play a couple of years ago uh, called "Sex with Robots and Other Devices," which um, pretty much was a play about exactly what it was called um so it's very much about um the future of human relationships with the ever increasing reliance on technology and since then i've become quite obsessed with robots but whilst i was working on the show my lighting designer said have you ever heard of this play and then she sent me a copy a pdf copy of of um rossum's universal robots which i read um and i just yeah and it just it's one of those when elspeth said to me the other day do you want to be a part of this podcast think of something that hasn't been staged for a really really long time or might never get staged again and I just I was racking my brains desperately trying to find a film um because I'm a proper film buff but then it just this kept on coming back to me in my head and I just thought this I I I agree with Billington I think it needs a re-adaptation I think it needs a lot of um a lot of work just to bring it up to date a little bit. Um, yeah. But actually, in terms of in terms of what it talks about, I think it really is quite, it really is interesting. And I think the fact that it did before this play, the English language didn't know what the word robot was, which apparently I think just means worker. I don't think it, it's got anything to do with being an android or anything like that. I think it just means worker. So, so, so it, it has been on before? Oh, it's been yes. on like qu- quite a lot through the 20s. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Like it, you know, was on in like, yeah, in Poland, and I think it was on in Prague at one point, and then it was an English adaptation was put on in New York and one in LA, and it's been put on in England a few times through the twenties, but then since then, I think they did a film in the forties, and then I think basically the last thing that was it was like late nineties. They did a radio play, maybe something like that. 
but wow. apart from that not really anything professional done that's incredible about the word robot because it's so hard not to read everything yeah through the lens of what that word means to us and also like the the fact that it's coined in the context of like the robots taking over is is yes incredible yeah i mean we're skipping ahead a little bit <laughs> maybe Bobby, you could take us through the the plot um perhaps in a little bit in quite a lot of detail because oh we're not going to assume everyone's going to have time to go away and read it do you are we allowed to share that pdf you've sent us in the link in the description yeah or no? i don't see i don't see why not i don't know if there's it might be worth checking the legalities of that but um, <laughs> well, I, you will check I, if there's not like a paid copy you can yeah you can but I, yeah. I mean you can buy if, copies if but i think yeah i presume i mean there are some free texts available online so i presume that's where my lighting designer got it from but i don't know um so yeah have a look in the description now listener and you might see a link <laughs> you might not uh if you don't buy either way i'm sure you can find it but if you don't have time to read uh quite a brief play uh then bobby perhaps yes you could take us through the the plot yeah absolutely um so it's set on an island um which has essentially been turned into a huge factory which is run by man um as in humankind um also currently in its current form that is entirely men um and they um a man called rossum many years before this has come up with the miracle that is creating an android so finding a way to create humanoid form um but not to imbue them with any personality so that they essentially act as the workers of the world um but they don't have to be paid they're much cheaper than the human workforce um and so over years of developing his technology he sets up a factory and they start shipping these robots out globally. Um, the prime minister's daughter, Helena Glory, um, I think, or is it the president? I can't remember. President? Prime well, minister? Uh, I can't remember. Anyway, I'm, one I'm or the other. differs um, translation to translation. Yes. Yes, it is president. It is president. Anyway, so Helena Glory comes um, to the factory to under the guise of um of just wanting to have a look around because she's the daughter of the president but she actually is the president herself of the humanity league and she believes that robots should be given a soul and should be allowed uh, to have a personality and to be able to make choice and to be more human obviously being a play written in the 1920s well before we had the bechdel test um all of the men on the in the factory fall in love with helena um one of them proposes and she immediately pretty much immediately says yes gets married and ends up staying on this island um staying at the factory with the men for the next 10 ish years in the meantime uh, because all of these men every single one of them has fallen in love with her um and she manages to persuade one of them because each of the men has a different role um one is literally just a builder one is sort of in charge of technology one is the president sort of head of the organization etc etc but she persuades manages to persuade one of these um experts to imbue these robots with personality and that's where it all goes wrong because the robots suddenly realize that they are being used and abused and um, there is a huge uprising and a a global revolution against mankind um so essentially in the name of love helena manages to uh, completely destroy humanity um 
there's a lot of religious undertones in it as well so there's sort of at the end there's a lot there's an allusion to um two robots that have been created with souls um that they sort of become adam and eve to go and begin man go and begin sort of the next phase of of evolution i suppose in in sort of android form um so yeah there's a, a bit of religious um undertone which I suppose for the time of the writing probably made a whole lot of sense but I think I don't know if that ex- I think that's kind of it really that sort of yeah, explains it I think that pretty cover pretty much covers it the, the I guess the only thing is that, that so at the end the robots have killed all of mankind and then they arrive on the island with news mm. that that's happened and they kill all of the characters we've been following apart from one who is the builder and then they keep him in the hopes that he will show how to build robots because they can't reproduce and, yes. uh, and he can't he can't work it out but then yeah the kind of implication at the end is that because these two robots have a soul and have fallen in love they might be able to reproduce but it's pretty unclear yeah it's a big old <laughs> question mark exactly um yeah. but yeah and the the um alquist which i think is how you pronounce his name who's the one that the builder that they allowed to live they only allow him to live because they believe he's like them because he uses his hands and he builds uh, like they yeah. have been built to do so um so yeah um but he bless him he's, he's very depressed at the end being the only man left on earth it's quite <laughs> sad um yeah. yes yeah so that's that because the, the third act is this all sort of like siege of the room that the workers of the mm. island are in the humans in the island are in and they're sort of working out if they can bargain the reproductive stuff away or whatever and then they find out that it's been um burnt by Emma, <laughs> who is the only female character in a bizarre um, contrivance and then, the plot there's sort of like no reason for her to do it and then she does it it's kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then it just happens to be a real problem in three seconds um and then there's the, the other contrivance i found very funny was the man who decides he's going to go and offer the robots money yeah. as if that's gonna help <laughs> and then when he's out there like offering the money he accidentally touches this electrified yeah. fence yeah. they've set up as like their perimeter and just dies and so even though he's been on the island for over 10 years he's completely forgotten that the fence is electrified um, yeah <laughs> It's bizarre um, as well because it's like the, the robots have killed all of humanity. They don't really need like they don't use money, obviously, because they're like a universal force who all work together. And but he's still going to offer them like half a billion dollars or whatever. And you just think, why would they? <laughs> they've got no reason to want money. I, I guess it's a like lame. a commentary on capitalism. Or maybe, something. I don't know. maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, there probably is. I think being an eastern european player i have a feeling there's probably quite a lot of comment on um on on capitalism um and the rise of the worker but no i i mean i really enjoyed the play and it is although elements of it are kind of goofy to like a modern reader i think that overall like yeah it it definitely is like ripe for for readaptation especially with like the idea of like us all having spent the last 18 months on computers all the time and they're like you know this like constant like more and more invasive technology in our homes with like alexas and then they have like the roomba like hoovers and things <laughs> now and uh and <laughs> not that they're the same as this but it's sort of like i think we're welcoming more and more of technology into our home to take away the sort of daily inconveniences and there is sort of something that this play might have to say about some of that, I guess. Yeah. You know what I couldn't stop thinking about when I was reading this play? What? The B movie. <laughs> what? Oh. <laughs> because there's this bit in the middle of the B movie when they've negotiated that they don't have to make honey yeah. anymore. And then they all have nothing to do. 
And there's this whole the the main guy, <laughs> the like leader that marries Jerry Seinfeld. Helena in the. Oh no! You're talking about you talking about the, you're <laughs> no, talking about the in the play. <laughs> in the play, <laughs> Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld, <laughs> Benny B. Benson, yeah, the leader in, <laughs> in this play. The leader keeps keeps talking about this idea that the reason why he wants to make these like subhuman worker things is to allow humanity to sort of get on with other things the sort of like higher aristotelian pleasures as it were and so i couldn't stop thinking about that bit in the b movie where they're all like what now when they don't have any any work to do Mm. uh because i I thought it was going to go that way but it it didn't go that way it just everything went terribly wrong (laughs) Um, which to be fair that's where Um, the comparison ends yeah (laughs) so do we want to do we want to start with what we do differently in the text or do we want to start with a sort of idea for the actual physical staging i would go text first let's go text first yeah well i was going to ask a a sort of brief question on setting because Mm -hmm. my understanding of it maybe i read it wrong was that the sort of you know character of rossum who like originally invented the robots he did that like in the 1920s and then this is set like 80 years, 100 years in the future from that. Mm-hmm. So if we were to put it on now, would we set it in like a, you know, in the future or would we set it in like an alternative present where yeah. Rossum did invent this thing 100 years ago and we see the impact that that's had on the world up until this point? That's a good question. I See, I think it's more interesting to make it an alternate present. Yeah. I... I, I I have no real dramaturgical basis for that other than I just think <laughs> that to to, pres- to essentially hold a mirror up almost to where we are now with technology is possibly more interesting than than the future. And I think we always, because with science fiction, we always think it's in the future. We always place it beyond where we are now. We place it somewhere where it's, we can't believe it could be real. It's intangible. Where actually I think there's something far more shocking if it's more immediate and more present than that. It is here. It's now. It's it's like you say. We've got so much technology around us that yeah. I think that's just more more interesting. My worry with setting it in the like in like ten years in the future or fifteen years in the future or something is that it just feels like a Black Mirror episode or something. Whereas I think if mm. you give it this history, um, and you have this sort of speech that Harry what whatever his last name is the like main guy gives at the beginning to Helena about the history of the robots if you have that you can kind of weave this into the history that we know now and then you can we ha- we have like a physical attachment to these robots through our own past rather than yeah just being like you know another like society's a phone kind of black mirror thing you know mm, definitely and also i mean the fact that he this play was written in 1920 and yeah. if you think about things that George Orwell was writing and you think about lots of, um, I mean, Isaac Asimov as well, when you think about people writing, I know that Orwell wasn't exclusively science fiction, but a lot of what they are writing about was horrifyingly prophetic. So it just feels like there's something more interesting. Yes, in, exactly. In, in weaving the history of the play and the context of the play into into our known history rather than our known our unknown future i think so a a sort of question that i have with that is in the play there's no mention of wires as such and and you know digital 
ness. It's not necessarily computer androids. And that's the thing that I'm that I found really interesting about it reading it now was that this the the imagination that brings these robots out is not like it, it's not this idea of like, you know, can you make a brain like a brain but with wires and metal, but this sort of more abstract sort of idea where so the story in the play is that this explorer went into the forest to find eggs or whatever it was and instead discovered these two materials and if you mix them together and it's all very you know yada yada but the point being is that it's 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 not it's not necessarily so far removed from from flesh as we maybe think of when we think of like the terminator and stuff like that and what i found interesting about it was this sort of like what's the film where there's a boy irobot is that what i'm thinking of <laughs> with will smith there is a boy in irobot no no not with will smith that's not what i'm talking, I'm talking oh, artificial oh the spielberg it's called ai with yeah. Yeah. yeah with the it was a, that, it's yeah. like a kid who's he looks like yeah. a real boy is sort of the thing that is kind of the thing the thing well the thing that sort of i don't I haven't seen it for a very long time but the thing that i remember finding kind of most like disturbing and sort of pathos inducing about it and so i guess my question with this sort of uh, are we weaving it into our, hist- our own history is that do do we then sort of take something away where we become where it just becomes like even though this is the first one when you're watching it in as an audience member does it become sort of oh just another thing about all the robots want to take over or is there something more we can take from having this sort of separate i the word robot is too charged now but this separate idea of something else something that's more that's more like removed from the technology we know even if it's not removed from the time we know in what these things are yeah does that make sense yeah it's because it's that difficult thing of like you know around a similar time to this you had fritz lang making uh the like the silent film epic metropolis which was all about like a whole element of that is like androids and automatons and things mm. um but in, and in that they look much more like what we imagine robots to be but they never use the word robot because it didn't really exist for you know fritz lang when he was making that film and so it's interesting to see how those two things were kind of combined over time when really yeah this is like it's just someone has found a way of making like a different version of a human that like will be subservient to us if you don't like give it proper emotions and things. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, that would be, I think that would be interesting to explore because, you know, part of what this film, this film, this play, part of what this play does is like, you know, like Ex Machina, you like the, that whole film is about like set up, you know, there's this whole setup of like one of the characters is a robot and we don't know it kind of thing. And this is like, they do that in the first like 10 minutes of this play. And so I kind of mm-hmm. do think you, you you offer your, with stuff like that, you kind of offer yourself a, a launch point where it's like stuff we have seen before in science fiction recently. And it's like using that as a starting point and then going far further than that to then go to the point where robots take over the world. Um, but I, I guess you're right. It is about like making clear though, there is this difference between like robots as we imagine them now and the robots that this play is referring to that are like, closer to us as humans yeah i mean they i suppose they they're closer to being androids i suppose just because they're more human humanoid than a robot yeah. is but i guess i suppose it's also just is it a case of just asking what actually are we trying because it's not just about saying um this is a play about robots but what's the underlying 
what are we actually exploring? What do we really want to talk about here? Um, and I spoke to a professor of robotics when I did this play about robots a couple of years ago. And um, and he said, the trouble is every film that you watch, every play that exists is always about robots being really bad and doing yeah. and like trying to, to um, trying to take down mankind. But I think there is, it feels like there is, I mean, yes, this very much feels like a comment on capitalism, I suppose. But yeah, I think, yeah, is there a world where they ha- they're not directly referred to as robots? I think is that's an interesting, an interesting one to pose for sure. Well, because then you get into the trouble with things like, because they do come on stage like three or four times in the play and you get into trouble with this sort of yeah. like, what, what does that look like now if we think, you know, if we're, you know, trying to be all sci-fi or, we, or are we not? And but I, get, I completely agree that actually on some level it's not important. What's important is, I guess the question we should ask ourselves in the, on this podcast right now is, what does the play, what did the play say in 1920? And what, yeah. Yeah. what, what do we want it to say now? And <laughs> those, those things match up. Caleb, I, I nominate Caleb. <laughs> Who wants to have a go? Uh, what, did uh, what, did what did the play, play say in 1920? I mean, there's a few things. And the, I, I would say actually my one criticism of the play really, apart from like its datedness, is that like, it is at times unclear exactly what it's I think it's trying to get at because there's stuff through our central character there's definitely stuff about capitalism and about workers and workers rights and about this idea of like like looking for like the perfect you know society being one in which people don't have to work because we find a way of like other things working for us and uh, therefore there's no there's no such thing as poverty and we can all live with like a certain amount of like public luxury right which is an idea that i think is still like present well, is probably more present today in a way um and and it's definitely an interesting one um but then obviously that doesn't work out because the robots revolt and it's like so what's the what does that mean and i think part of it is about like the the reason the robots revolt is because they become closer to human right and the idea is it's sort of showing like you know the imperfection in the robots in the end ends up being their humanity and and i think part of it is this kind of like quite pessimistic reflection on like humanity as imperfect but within those imperfections there is hope and that's kind of like the love between the two robots at the end that's vaguely i think some of the things it's trying to get at but there's also like lots of other things that it kind of touches on and there's definitely stuff about like challenging god and like testing him by creating you know creating something as advanced as this and there's definitely stuff about you know questioning yeah i guess questioning like how far we push technology and and how much technology is you know how how much we can make it for us and and there is like a, a, a again this underlying sort of anti-capitalist thing about like in the end actually the reason the robots keep getting made is because they make profit not because they help lift people out of poverty um and and enjoy luxury so that's vaguely i think what it was getting at in 1920 but you can correct me if if i'm wrong (laughs) no i think that's that's pretty much bang on yeah i think all of that i'm not gonna say anything else i agree i i think the thing i would add is it felt like what was created in the sort of conglomerate of men on the island was this sort of multi-face justification thing where you had this sort of quite clearly <laughs> morally bad thing that was well maybe not but we can we can talk about that but yes. but this idea of like creating a basically creating kind of a slave race it, it on some level and so like that all those conversations and then and what it felt like to me was that each of the men on the island had a different reason 
other than they all also had this love for this woman, but they they well, they all had a different justification in their heads for why they were doing what they were doing. So the the guy you were saying is thinking about sort of utopian society. That's how he justifies it to himself. One of the others is thinking about thinking about profit. For one of them, it's just a job and it's what they have to do. For one of them, it's the advancement of science and find you know just the advancement of human knowledge and 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 stuff like that. And th- I found that very interesting as again like a reflection on capitalism and i was thinking actually a lot about like like the climate crisis and about this idea that like oh yeah we'd love to you know we'd love to be able to reach for this utopian society but we have to go we have to follow the profit on the path to that and actually not doing anything till it's too late because you don't see it as your responsibility because you live within this society that asks for money and money is the most important Mm. thing before anything else and so everything can go wrong in the name of money um, and I felt like there was a lot of that to reflect on, and I know we're sort of starting to answer the second question now about like about modern themes, but because that because it was so long ago, that it sort of struck me how much I was thinking about that. And then we do have this whole thing in the first act, which was again was interesting, where this the the Helena character comes in, she's she's very powerful uh, <laughs> woman who is you know daughter of the president of some country we don't know uh and she's president of of some some kind of big society with 200,000 members and she comes in to sort of launch this sort of revolt and ambush and that's that's her plan uh and before the sort of silly bernard shaw-esque will you marry me yes of course bit there's this bit where she is trying desperately to like make the robots revolt but she can't and she's being invited by the men they're kind of finding it funny but not in like a it's it doesn't feel particularly patronizing it's almost like a no no yeah. you know, we, <laughs> we agree that if if you were right you'd be right but we but you're not right so you're not that, that's yeah. that there's there's this sort of thing where it's like well go ahead try because if you were right then you trying would would be would work but you're not right so you can try and it won't and there was and th- that sort of thing and then and then later we get this idea that oh but actually it's just because there's this mm-hmm. tweak and there's this yeah. idea which we haven't mentioned yeah. yet that some of them occasionally go haywire and and get angry and <laughs> And those, ones have, the be, those ones have to be mill. murdered. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah, it's there's, it's great, there's it? so yeah. many ideas. It almost feels the quite farcical in that mill. first act. Like those when yeah. Helena arrives and there's, I mean, there's lots of door acting. It feels like lots of people are coming in through doors and, and it just, it feels like we are, I almost wonder if there is a farce, a, a version of this which could be done as farce, but still, but I suppose the, yeah, the challenge would be, can you still, kind of inject it, imbue it with everything that you want to in terms of comment on society yeah. or whatever. Um, I think, I mean, you were like totally right, Jake, to like make the comparison to Bernard Shaw. It's like exactly the kind of thing that he was doing at around the same time. Mm. It, Yeah, it's it's like such a, that first act is basically like a one act Shaw play in a way. And, and, and like the idea of like this like committee of men who are all like kind of the same, but slightly different because yeah. of their like assigned roles. Like that's exactly, Shaw does that exact thing in um, Doctor's Dilemma. He has like these four doctors who are all the same because they're all doctors, but they're also all like re- different reflections of like parts of like the medical profession that Shaw hates. And it's exactly that <laughs> kind of like thing. The other thing that, struck me as well about the the writing of this kind of time is this idea that i think you see in loads of plays from this time where like something is happening out in the world but the play occurs in a room that is the Mm. way that kind of can talk about the world but we don't necessarily see the world happening Mm. and i I think that's just a budgetary thing uh 
at that time. But I sort of love that. Yeah. I love things that, that those pressure cooker environments where you just you're you learn about the bigger picture through a yeah. small group of people. Um, and you know, I mean, it's it, the, the stage directions are quite detailed about what is where. Um, which obviously is all open for interpretation, but I just, I, I really, I personally really like that. I love that idea of, um, yeah, sort of almost kind of like some weird purgatory that they're all just trapped in this, in this <laughs> yeah. room, um, facing their fate. I suppose I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm a yeah, big fan. It made of that. the mo- it made the most of that limitation, and yeah, and and it and it it also like used that to propel the action in the final act as well. I think, which is like. I don't think I've seen like a a play from that time do that in quite the same way of having like literally using that setting as then the setting of like a siege or something like that to then literally have the action taking place in that room, which I thought was pretty neat. Um, So to return then to the question of what does it mean now? I mean, I think you were hitting exactly on on what it could mean, Jake, in in that thing of, you know, like our, our central character, Harry, which his last name is like, in the version I was reading, it was like Domin, but like, I think yeah. it can also be Domain, right? Like, and there's obviously like a very obvious <laughs> symbol mm-hmm. of that as a name. But he, he, there's a, this sense that he's known this revolution is coming. It just wasn't as big as he thought it was going to be. Like, no, it was, sorry, it was way bigger than he thought it was going to be when it when it did come around. And, and so, like, he's ordered this, like, gunship for them to go in and be safe. And, like, he's, like, anticipated this revolution of the the robots. And he anticipated it, like, a decade ago. But, like, he, he let it, uh, like, you know, run its course because he thought, like, the only way we're going to live with robots for, for a long time is to, like, let the robots have their revolution, quash it, and then move on. And then that obviously doesn't happen. And there's definitely parallels there as well of like this idea of like those who are in powerful positions seeing climate change like gonna happen and and they know it's gonna happen, but they think they can ride out the storm long enough for them to like keep making profit off it, keep enjoying the luxury of the life they they live in the current system rather than trying to find that new system that doesn't you know result in the entire world falling apart so i think that that to me that's probably the angle to take if we're if we're doing it now or something similar Mm. yeah and i suppose um as well you when you think about just i suppose for the west our desperation for convenience and everything being fast and yeah every like we want we want everything now and when you think about all of those factories globally that are just churning out things as cheaply as they can to try and make the most profit and what have you. And and it, I mean, at one point in the play, they say, oh, what, a few years ago, one of these would have cost £10,000 or something. And now it's only yeah. 150 per worker or something. And you think, it, I don't know. I don't know. And, and that, I suppose, feeds into the climate question as well, doesn't it? Just with the the disgusting output of greenhouse gases in, in all of these factories as well. I don't know. Um, yeah. But, oh, no, I think it's that, right? It's like this consumerism that values convenience over like what actually makes the most sense of the way to like live our lives. Like, yeah. you know, and like, yeah, I think that's, that's a really cool like angle to take and a really cool, like, especially like with like the idea of robots, this idea that like we would allow 
you know, I guess the 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 debate is often framed around privacy at the moment, and I think that is important. But I think like you know, the climate crisis is also probably more important. But like this idea of like we've allowed all of these things into our homes just because it's more convenient, and we allow you know we'll we'll have like I, there's the, these new like services, uh, particularly in like London and bigger cities where you can get groceries in like ten minutes, right? But like mm-hmm. at the expense of basically another human's well being. Um, and it is just like this, we're reaching this kind of insane critical point, which like seems like, I don't know, it feels like we're approaching like a precipice of like absolute insanity of the way that we're living our lives and the way that we're placing convenience over other human lives. And I suppose that's exactly what you can like point to with this because the robots become these kind of pseudo humans that are there entirely for our convenience as well. And there's maybe an angle in on that as well. Yeah, I think so. I think definitely that the fact that, and I, and I think that, I don't think it would take, I mean, the script needs a whole load of updating, but actually it's all kind of, it all feels like it's in there already. It, that's mm. what I think is so interesting about about the play for me is that there are, even if they're like a little seed of a theme, it feels like with the right adapter, with the right person here, like you could very easily keep a very similar structure how then do you think we would go about sort of teasing some of those themes out more explicitly with the kind of current frame we have and are there any like plot points that you think also definitely need changing right now oh yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah i mean i think the when i first read it i remember just thinking there's there's one well there, there end up being two human female characters um, one is the stereotypical old lady maid and the other is the young, beautiful ingenue who gets swept off her feet. Um, so, yeah, I immediately would um, change some of the characters running the factory to being female or at least female identifying. I think there's definitely got to be something where we're just finding a slightly stronger gender balance. And I, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I was thinking about this earlier, like if, if Helena doesn't immediately say yes to getting married to Harry, what's her reason for staying there? Um, but it would be, for me, I would be interested to to see what, like if we could remove that as, as a, a plot point, really. I just don't think ugh, it, it's, it, yeah, it bugs me, but I also yeah. know that it does sort of push the narrative on in certain places so i yeah i don't know i that would be my big thing i would want a writer to tear that up and do something interesting with it i think there's a sort of generous reading of all of that which is uh and it's a very generous reading but it's sort of critique (laughs) of sort of uh patriarchal values and this idea that like uh, only a group of like only a group of all men would be this (laughs) fucking stupid <laughs> um it, it, it's yeah. it's sort of in there maybe but i think it, yeah like they've they've been like five blokes on an island for a long time now and then the first woman comes along and they immediately all want to marry her and there, there's definitely something <laughs> no but i think it's more about more about that. less about wanting to marry her i th- i think i agree that 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 with about definitely about that plot point but but more in the sense of like their like attitudes towards like uh, oh yeah, they're pretty much androgynous, but occasionally we'll make a female presenting one 
if someone wants a secretary or something um but it like it does come across <laughs> stupid in the play and then and yes yeah but uh but yeah just just like a couple of a couple of times where it, i think what i'm saying is that i think there's also ways of like drawing out that sort of like inevitability of war and uh like those kind of very like 1920s male overbearing sort of values and and mm. sort of teasing out what whether they like how they exist now and what's wrong with them it, that might be interesting to do yeah. as a sort of sub sub point but i think I, it's definitely not the mm. it's definitely not the driving force of what the play would want to say now and i so i definitely agree that that therefore there's there's not a, there's not there's no point like leaving leaving it as an all-male group I, I, I agree unless as you say you're making that point and then is that where farce could come into it where you do a very knowing you know there is a there's an absolutely sort of for audience there's a complete understanding that this is this is this is dreadful but we get yeah. it and the reason you know and really making that point i suppose i suppose i i guess for me like i feel like as it like even if you didn't rewrite anything like as it stands there's a really like nice opportunity for completely like completely gender blind completely color blind casting on this and literally just anyone anyone could play any of these roles and i don't think it would really affect the play that much um as like without even making much of a, a script change and i think like the opportunity of a script like that i mean i think like it's worth taking that and actually you can find those criticisms in other ways and and actually like a lot of it and also like i think then also it makes the point of actually it's it's, it's a point about power rather than you know like we recognize what power is in society right now and so you can just make the point about power generally and then leave the audience to kind of identify that within like society as it stands right now definitely yeah i, I mean yeah i think there is something in in the gender and um and race blind casting just it's which is what we did when i did my last robots play it's it's not it's about the characters it's not about who's playing them um which i think is interesting in itself for sure uh, but it's also i mean it would be interesting i don't know if there's any other english translations of the play as well because it would be interesting mm. if there were to find to see what themes that translation had picked up so because um, I, I haven't obviously I, I've not really had time to read any but like from my brief amount of research there's like there's this version that we read which was like the first English version that was done like a couple of years after the play mm. but then later on in the I don't know 80s or 90s or something there was like an unabridged version that was written so like apparently this cuts out a lot of well not a lot but like a fair bit of the play but actually there's a version that's like a bit longer and has a few ideas of like chapex that were like cut out for english audiences so i wonder what's in there and whether there is stuff that would be more or less relevant to the kind of like theme that we want to hit on in in our version mm. thinking about what might have been yeah, offensive it, to yeah. 1920s or english audiences that you might well <laughs> I, be right <laughs> i think maybe maybe not necessarily offensive but maybe that don't quite fit into that like well-made play structure that would have been like popular at the time mm. Mm. are there any other mm. themes that you'd want to draw out for this this version bobby probably yes <laughs> sorry i put you um, on the spot yeah i mean the, the yeah that's no, right um yeah i mean the big for me the big thing is just sort of trying to just yeah it's either you really you plow into the gender thing really strongly and make a real point about it or you you totally rewrite totally sort of rewrite it but i think 
Um, the, yeah, I think for me, it's just about, I suppose, the, yeah, this idea of, of if we wanted to be really big and bold about it, like what what's the point of living unless you've got a soul to do it? If I don't even know, I don't know if that's a theme, but just this idea that, um, yeah, we, I suppose the that the age old question of what makes us human, what makes us different to the other animals, which is, I guess, it, that's absolutely massive, and I don't know if a, a play <laughs> play would be able to answer that, but yeah, just something. Maybe is there something in each of the characters like? the fact that Helena is the one who introduces this idea to them, you know, what if each of them has got a different response? Well, I suppose we've already talked about really, which is, you know, one person's interested in profit and we still have, you know, people doing horrible things to other humans for money. And, and yeah, I'm sort of waffling, but yeah, that's, I think that's that, 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 that really. Yeah. Well, and, and like on that soul point, I guess as well, that thing of like, what makes us human, like in the play, it's not work that makes us human and i no. i kind of i like that a lot because i think i think so much of like the idea of pro well and this idea of actually like is progress good as well which is something that i think is like thought about quite a lot at the moment like do we need growth for a country to be performing like you know i'm doing quote marks um or or actually like can we live without the like need for constant growth, constant progress? Those and those two things are kind of interesting because going back to what Jake was saying about the B movie, which like <laughs> the point of the B movie in a way is like, I mean, part of it. Well, I guess yeah. If you were to read deeply into the B movie, <laughs> and we all do, like very much, in, and we all do, right? Like it's very much in favor of this like, I think quite outdated idea. This like kind of Protestant work ethic where it's like we exist like part of our purpose is to work and therefore we have to like be working in order for us to have like human purpose and that like there couldn't possibly be a scenario in which like we we reimagine what work means and it doesn't become like you work so that you can eat but actually like you do activities for pleasure and that's life right and there is and there can be purpose in that and if there was like this automated world around you would it not be a possibility that you could just live this life in which you enjoy leisure and you don't have to worry about earning money for food because food, there is enough food produced for everyone to eat. And again, like it's building like a completely idealized world. Right. But that's kind of like what's exciting about science fiction. But I I think, yeah, what I liked about it was that it never asked that question of is work our purpose because the things that were built to work didn't have a soul. And so like, I guess there's like a thematic line to follow there of like, so what does make us human? And actually perhaps it's more like the idea of like pleasure and relationship that makes us human rather than what like traditionally is seen as part of like the human experience of like working. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, I think there is also a sort of reading of this where it's saying there is no difference, you know, a slight tweak to feel anger there and, uh, this and here and and it, it's sort of saying not 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 that there's nothing special about humanity and nothing that and nothing that sets it apart but also but more more that well yeah more, more that that except that we find time and whatever to to think to have 
leisures that we want and and interest in arts and things like that and whatever it is that it might be in stories and relationships like you're saying because what the the place i'm rambling because i'm finding what i'm trying to say while i talk but the place that the place that the androids or robots or whatever get to at the end to me is like humanity minus something so they're working and they want to be in charge but there's something still missing and it's like what is that yeah. and i think it's what you're well, saying because that's it right because like at the end like there's this like there's this whole bit where it's like they go to um the builder guy and they're like oh yeah we've like taken like nine million tons of coal out of the earth and we've taken like this natural resource we've like can like completely bled the earth dry and like i guess like and we didn't find what we were looking for i, I suppose is kind of the implication yeah and i think mm. again i think that's a critique of 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 like work as we currently understand it as well right like we can keep growing and expanding and 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 mining the world the world for like what it has but like we're not going to find the thing we're looking for through that we need to need to find exactly as you say through like these more sort of what you know in the 20s is like seen as like aristocratic like leisures but like they can be for everyone they don't have to be aristocratic how do how do we stage it? Then? <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna, all right then. Should we talk about a physical? Space? A nearly an hour in. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I, well, I mean, I love I love a one room sort of world. I think is that's although this is technically in two different locations, but they're both rooms, aren't they? But um, yeah, I think I I, I sort of almost want to push against the technology that that idea that when we make futuristic or sci-fi pieces that we have to make them all like bells and whistles and you know go all out technology and um and actually what if it's really just a very lived in space with very little technology present um it, that's that's where my instinct takes me anyway i mean i love lived in spaces i like things to feel you know i, lo- I love a bit of dirtying down you know i like it all to feel a bit old and if these blokes have been there by themselves for well although in our version it won't necessarily just be men but if this group of people have been there for that long you know how how rough does everything look how how much access do they have to modern technology whatever that technology is for them um because they may well be creating these androids but what yeah i just i think there's something i'd like to i'd play against the technology of it i think yeah i do kind of love the idea that they've all been living on this island and they like have almost made like a conscious decision to sort of retain something of the 1920s on the island and so like although the whole world is advanced beyond that they just like still just don't really have anything they have to wait for like this mail boat to arrive once a week and all this stuff and they kind of like have the idea that they're building like the forefront of technology but they also still refuse to like engage with all of the rest of the forefront of technology as well i think that's quite fun yeah something it's almost kind of i I like i like the sort of dystopian nature of that as well that we're i don't know if that is dystopian but i i I would like to make it feel dystopian that yes they are it's it, it, it sort of feels it almost doesn't feel like they because we're not being specific about where they are or necessarily when they are then yeah how i think that opens up a whole world of possibilities in terms of the the sort of design of that yes i don't know if that was me agreeing with you or not but yeah just something sort of yeah just sort of pushing against 
the technology and, and just being it just feels quite dark there's something quite interesting in in making it I don't necessarily mean that literally in terms of like color and light sort of going just make it all dark but just that those sort of you know dystopian themes of um but and also like not having it be that like sci-fi thing that we've got to in recent years where everything for it to be like yeah to be science fiction it has to be like sterile and like like a you know like it just came out of the box yeah yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm and like chrome and white lights. boxes and yeah exactly yeah. exactly i'm thinking yeah. of yeah. a, no, like a recent musical by uh uh Voce, uh called you and i it was written by uh Cordelia driscoll and it's about essentially a uh i don't i, I don't want to not do it justice but it's about it's about a a uh a, a woman who has a, a, bro, a robot i guess is all i'll say but it, the set was very much like your classic. This is my bedroom now. Set, you know, part, you know, stuff from a night out on the floor, and the and the person uh, playing the robot who is uh, Lawrence Hunt. He was uh, sort of his costume was just sort of normal clothes and the way that they that he presented sort of his robotness and in that version he is you know a sort of classic now it is now a classic mechanical robot um but he it it was through script and performance and and just through the way he, he interacted with the world differently to her but the world was very very average what you'd expect now and as you and and as you say no no technology and i like the idea that we can perhaps what the darkness comes from is less as you say like like actual light and dark but more this sort of like eerie familiarity with then this extra layer on top yeah, yeah. the certain like uncanny mm. thing yeah i also just to leap on that point about like how to present the robots that i was thinking about like um this idea of like if we're updating the language of all of the other uh, characters, if we then had the robots speak like they're in the 1920s, um, <laughs> and so like again like it's something like their language like center has never been updated or whatever, and this idea that like yeah so like that that difference that what makes them robotic like they still walk around like normal human beings, but what makes them robotic is they are like at a fixed point in yeah. time and we have moved on. That, that's something else that is that we haven't mentioned is this this quite something that recurs a lot in science fiction this idea that there was one person who invented a thing and then nobody since has been able to replicate it or improve upon it or like have any influence on it which is like not at all how modern technology works Um, there is (laughs) i can't think of anything that works like that everything has been built upon and improved by by generations of individuals um but there's all these things in sci-fi like that and this is that example where the plot hinges on this idea that there was this one person who yeah. worked it out and then they're gone and and this one piece of pa- this hilarious idea that it's only <laughs> written down on one piece of paper <laughs> and it cannot be replicated how to, how to but it raises the states though right i mean you know <laughs> yeah 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 no that is it's we do very much yeah technology we all know doesn't work like that but i think but again is that there's something quite dystopian about that that there's this someone playing god so you know if you think about something like ex machina and you've just got that character who has got a brain that works in a way that no one else is can and is able to to develop these things um it's like in I don't, i'm i'm currently on book 3 of um margaret atwood's oryx and crake 
um, books, the Mad Adam trilogy, um, which if you haven't read them, I mean, she's my absolute favourite writer anyway, but they're just insane. And the, the concept of that is that there's a character called Crake who has got a brain that is able to develop a new species of human that is far advanced to our own. Um, but they also like humanity. We've got to a point where we are um, we're sort of creating these strange hybrids of animals. You know, we create a kind of breed of sheep just so that it grows human hair so we can get hair transplants. And it's all it's really it's all very dystopian, creepy weirdness. But, yeah, there's something about those figures like the Crake type figure that are. Yeah, they they want to play God. And I think there's something so threatening in that that, yes, whilst it that's I think you're right that's where the darkness is that we don't because it's not like that really although I'm sure there's many a many a Google CEO who would possibly disagree but like I yeah I just I feel like there is something I quite like that I mean maybe that's really corny but I do quite like that idea of that figurehead sort of character yeah and and then it's not just like it's him it's Rossum but then it's his son and the like distinguishing mm-hmm. like thing between them that we're told is like rossum did it to play god like that was his aim mm. and then his son did it for profit and that was his aim and then mm. there's the like more recent scientist who then has found that little like extra spark that makes them even closer to being human he's like dr ghoul or something like that um mm-hmm. and and like and so like i guess there has been like some generational like development through the play as well but it's like i guess in it where it differs from how technology works it's like there is a clear lineage it's like it's like apple rather than android i guess <laughs> is, that, is that a good example oh dear <laughs> i don't know oh, anything about oh, technology what am i talking what have about you said about steve caleb what have you said yeah i know um, yeah. well i feel like we're at that point now where we could talk for another four hours and get into mm-hmm. lots of different things. Like, oh, I do want to know. I'd, I'd love to talk about the sound design that we'd want to think about. Like, would we want to have, like, music, like, pop music that's, like, some, something's weird about it? Or would it be kind of just normal, not normal, but something more, like, original and, and for it, and sci-fi feeling? We, we could talk about that. We could talk about um, costume. We could talk about loads of stuff. Um, do we want to pick a couple... Yes, yes. <laughs> I'd love to talk about what kind of sound design we could put into a production of this. Uh, if we're setting it now, I, there's something you've said about this sort of darkness that we could have this like, we could maybe use like modern pop music, but have something weird about it um, or not and make make it really visceral, that feeling of it being now, like at any moment, just use whatever's in the charts or something. Um, or it could be like an original score or something really sci-fi oriented, um, or really dystopian. Um, any thoughts on, on sound? Or, or an old wind-up gramophone with like 20s big band stuff. <sighs> any excuse for grant? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, like, I'm a big fan of, I love, I mean, original score for me, I always love and I'm also I'm a bit of a sucker for the sort of big epic sweeping Hans Zimmer style gorgeousness of things so which maybe doesn't fit a play that is potentially just going to be set in one room but there's something because I that I'm now asking myself whether we do want to say this is right now if there's anything that we want to put into I, I don't know into this this adaptation that is basically saying it is you know it is the early 2020s 
Mm. or whether we do go a little more abstract or just slightly more vague with it and just introduce sounds from the 1920s onwards, also with some new orchestrations and, and, you know, maybe classical music. But then is it that one of the characters is listening to the radio at some point and some Ariana Grande comes on, for example, you know, so we're still, I don't know, something like that. Or we do a a Bridgerton thing. Do you know about that? Never not, seen it. So I've not, I've seen, not seen it either. But I, what I do know, okay, you know. what I do know is there are, <laughs> there are whenever they are at balls, and I think that happens quite a lot in this in that TV series. But whenever sure, they're yeah. at the dances, what we hear is you know your classic, classic, classical, very string heavy uh, dance oh, music. Yeah. But if you listen to the melody, it's it is, Despacito. Yeah. It's thank you next. <laughs> I actually I Uh, did I did know that yeah that's pretty neat I I I saw a production of Othello at the Sam Wanamaker Playhouse a few years ago and they they had like a um like a maybe five voice choir and they sang a cappella and at one point they sang um uh, an a cappella a cappella version of video game by Lana Del Rey and and it was like it was so sick and I'm fuming because like lots of RSC productions get like their soundtrack released afterwards and then this one didn't and I you know I have like that memory of that that version of video game in my head but I'll never hear it again which is very depressing. That's really sad. <laughs> but is that maybe maybe <laughs> maybe there is like a thing you could do where you have like a, this sort of sweeping orchestral score but it is using modern pop themes in it as motifs. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, and it, it yeah it's still like a world of like it, it feels re- it for me rather than it feeling going down the sci-fi route. It feels very industrial. So I don't know if there's any world of soundscaping where you just go more, more, yeah, more factory than you do beeps and blops and lots of crazy worry sounds. Yeah, like I don't know. It just I mean, it does make me think about Metropolis, which I know is a silent film, but like when mm. you think about like steam coming out of pipes and big mechanisms like turning and whirring and all of that i don't know it just that there's something about that that it's quite what's the buzzword steampunk is that the steampunk everyone uses yeah i guess yeah yeah. and well i guess metropolis has like a big orchestral score in the version of it like you would see these days Mm. um i do like the idea because you mentioned before bobby about like is the is having this big orchestral score weird for something that's set in one room but actually, like, I think there is something about this idea of, like, this being an epic story, but it is set in one room. And, like, that you can bring in, like, how big it is through the sound and through the music mm. and, and, and things like that. Mm. And if you have it rise, like, you know, there's, like, the music swells, like, when he's giving the history of, like, the company and, like, the moment where they first find out about, like, the, outs- you know, the news from the outside world and moments like that, then I think you can kind of, like, tie the, like epicness of the score to like the epicness of the like the story going on outside of this room that we're, we're viewing it through yeah and it's it's, yeah. it's not like it's not like a i don't know like an alexi arbazov play or something where it's like like three people who are just normal people and they're observing the world around them this is the epicenter of events they are causing what's happening and so actually i think yeah. the idea of that like epicness spreading out is definitely definitely worthwhile and I suppose introducing, maybe that's where I'm getting to with the industrial sort of sounds, this sort of the idea of what's happening in the outside world. And then I'm now sort of creating this whole 
like we have a whole prologue and we've got some kind of overture at the beginning, mm. which then blends into like just seascape sound because they clearly are right next to the port of wherever they are. Like what happens if we, so we can hear, we can hear humanity on the other side of this room and we can hear the robot workers on the other side of this room. But so the bigger picture is created through the soundscape. Um, yeah. The idea of doing like an overture but that's not orchestral, but it's just purely like sound. I really like, and mm. and like this, like blending of different sounds um, would be really cool. I wonder as well as like, is there something we can do here with like projection to uh, like understand the outside world as well? Like showing us like these new pa- newspaper clippings that are being talked about and like news reports um, and something, like, something along those lines and using like snippets of like snippets of the outside world, like projected, so that we, the audience, can see them, but maybe the people like in the scene can't necessarily see the things we're seeing. Sorry, I, it was. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, like it would be great if we use something like projection, which is modern, which is technology, but we don't use it to show anything technological. So, like you know, like when you think about, I don't know, I'm trying to think. You know, I think in Bugsy Malone, do they do it in the Sting as well? Like the spinning newspaper, and then it. stops and you get the headline and it's like a proper retro style newspaper so we kind of that's how we interact with the outside world but we're only ever seeing really vintage images like things that that aren't tech heavy at all if that makes sense because i was gonna actually say i've been thinking i've been thinking about like a really traditional painted backdrop where you can like see Mm. the like expanse of this factory out of the window uh that that the room is in i i've I've kind of been imagining because that that gives like gives a designer like real freedom to like imagine what this would look like um but without having to maybe animate it i guess but then yes um, but the yeah no i like i like this idea of like well because i guess this is we're sort of toying between two things right that we're we're toying between this this sort of like let's remove technology from this because that's the play isn't interested in that and so let's not be interested in it either. And then there's this sort of other idea of let's really set it and ground it in the, this alternative present where like everything is say is sorry where everything is the same except these things were invented in 1920 and like and mm. and that hasn't really affected much trajectory of things yet but it sort of st- is starting to now in 2020 um which I, I, I think is sort of where the play is set or thereabouts um and so which is why i was suggesting this idea of like maybe we just use like some some pop or whatever or some some things like that that like really make it clear that like this world is no different to the world we know but these things exist and then and they're only just trying to have an effect yeah. but we can also not do that so well is there something in like having like you know maybe like the island has some bits of technology but they're like i don't know the thing i'm imagining right is like that like one of them really loves music and so they like order the like latest like now that's what i call music to the island or whatever (laughs) (laughs) and then and so like it's like in the in the shipment like that like this you know maybe in the first act if you could introduce the shipment like the idea of like the the ship arriving with all the postage uh, as an earlier idea and sort of seed it like one of them is really excited that the ship has arrived because like they've got the latest cd and they like put it on and listen to it or whatever during the scene and maybe there's something you could do with that where we kind of like introduce the outside world a bit more, but we still do it through this like lo-fi, like low amount of tech version of the, of like the world that these guys are living on, on the island. I like that. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> now that's what I call 
whatever year it is. <laughs> yeah. It's brilliant. Now that's what Imagine I call robot music. <laughs> 2000 <laughs> robot time. 2000 robot times, yeah. <laughs> we, should, we, should we move on to an, another another part of the production? Well, I mean, let's. I would like to kind of like maybe pin down maybe what, what we are doing with the set. This idea of setting in one room I think is great what that room might be is like very much up for grabs because in the play it's in a drawing room but no one has a drawing room anymore so mm-hmm. um what kind of space are we in and yeah do we want to use like a painted backdrop or like a projected backdrop or some something that can maybe fuse the two somehow or something like that um what kind of what does the space look like it feels on reading the version that that we've read that for me it feels like an office makes make sense like I always I mean thinking as a director I would always want something I would always want things in a space that people could sit on and we can create levels on anyway so I think something where you've got a desk and you've got some chairs and maybe you've got you know your sort of your chaise long area where I don't know I don't know if CEOs have chaise longs but you know somewhere where you've got a slightly more comfortable seating area but yeah it feels quite to me I I think office could be quite a useful thing with doors or a, or a break room different yeah maybe like a, a communal space of some kind i mean like the, in the, this it's very much room. helena's space but is there something you could do yeah. with it being a kind of more communal space Hmm. yeah i think so yeah the idea of the yeah the sort of yeah the water cooler room like where everyone yeah. just gathers around for their yeah yeah because then i suppose you could make that really grubby as well then couldn't you which would be great yeah well you could have like a little kitchenette in it with like loads of unwashed mugs or something yeah and and everyone's always using the microwave all the way through the play just (laughs) (laughs) that's that's a really fun idea of like and this idea that like in the second act it's almost as if the microwave still hasn't been cleaned a decade later oh yeah i think and what if one of the characters he's got he's always like spilling like bits of like lasagna and coffee (laughs) always wears a white shirt but he always spills something on it yeah yeah well that okay maybe that bring I, I like the idea of like saying it in this sort of yeah this sort of break room or something maybe that brings us on a little bit to what we were talking about earlier this idea of that like this could be a farce what i guess what sort of theatrical lineage are we bringing into this production is it we begin farcical and then turn it into something else or do we involve more sort of like physical elements to it or you know or yeah do we like really do we try and make it feel like what like more modern comedy is doing now? Or do we like kind of push that sort of like Shavian feel to it? What, what, I guess, what is that sort of lineage that we're using? I just, I, my brain keeps going back to farce. And I think, but I, I do agree that I think it feels like there is something does shift. So do we start in that world? I don't know what we then do go into, but it does feel like that could be quite helpful if that's where you began. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I don't know. I think we could make the second it? act. Well, sorry. I like. I think we can make the second act funnier as well. And so, mm. really, like the only really serious moment is the third act. And so, you could kind of bring the fast through that as well. Mm-hmm. How about so this idea of like doors you were talking about earlier? The sort of I don't know. Is that is it an old coward thing? Like this sort of like lots of doors people Definitely coming in and old out. Coward, yeah. um, yeah, Rattigan loves a door. I mean, it's just it's far and also just fast. Right, is is so reliable. But then doors we, anyways, anyway, so, right, exactly. Yeah. So this sort of like fast, fast door thing, and but then by the end we've got this <laughs> siege, 
And when you think of mm. a siege, you tend to think of like one way in, right? So is there a world in which like we start with fuckloads of doors and it's all funny and it's all farcical and then we find reasons to like maybe instead of this so in the in the original play um it, it act one is in the office uh, is in the office when helena arrives and then uh act two is a 10-year jump is there a way we sort of find to maybe weave these conversations maybe a little bit over a longer period of time where for whatever reason maybe it's not really explained maybe it is we lose doors as the play goes on we lo- we lose ways in and out of the room so that by the time we get to the siege there is one way in and out and that kind of creates that tension by essentially squeezing the space maybe maybe it's not just the number of doors maybe the whole space gets smaller and smaller for, for again maybe i don't know why but maybe we can find or well, maybe it doesn't have to be explicit yeah. like maybe there doesn't have to be a, like, like a, a reason yeah and and those things are kind of removed without like without it ever being like acknowledged until you realize at the end that it is this smaller space with one door. And then, and I guess as well for the epilogue as well, then that, that gives us like a very small space that we're left in where this like last person on earth, like last human, that's kind of Maybe all the walls are on sliders and they just like slowly, like the trash compactor in uh, Star Wars. (laughs) I think you kind of of could do something similar to that though, but like where they're moving so slowly, like you don't notice it's happening in a way. Oh, like a doomsday Um, clock sort of deal yeah mm. Ooh, mm. very nice i do also like the idea though of like making the third act very farcical where you have a siege happening and they've got like six different doors <laughs> to defend yeah <laughs> no they do it's do like, that it's there's one a, or the other isn't it a, they do do that there's a bit where he goes the guy in charge goes right you off to the right off to the left yeah. down the stairs up the stairs mm. here you yeah. go that way so that actually yeah. does happen that's pretty funny. And then they all, <laughs> yeah. like, pretty much all die off stage, right? And it's just like, we just yeah. hear the robots being like, have you killed him? <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That could be fun. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, it's one or the other, isn't it? Like, I think there's something really, if you, like, really went, like, full-on fast, I think it would still really work, and I think it would be loads of fun. But, yeah, but then is there also something about kind of pulling the rug out from under the audience's feet by, by yeah, like, either making the set slightly smaller and reducing the number of doors or, yeah, something like that. Know. Yeah, I think that w- I, that would make the ending feel that bit more impactful. I think, mm. especially if we've started in something that feels like so farcical, and then you sort of slowly make that change in something more sinister. I think, like, yeah, you kind of take them by surprise a bit. Yeah, um, with that and like the introduction of like the people that have been living on the island that long is like it's so goofy and weird, and they're like <laughs> they're like such freaks. And I guess it is because they've lived <laughs> away from humanity for so long. But yeah. I think, yeah, like kind of playing on that would be fun. Uh, do I had a question, I thought a while ago about like whether we would want to reduce the cast slightly or, or, or whether we would want to keep that many people um, because there are like some of the like people that have been living on the island, like, I suppose are slightly expendable characters in that like they don't really have a part to play in the plot. But at the same time, like it kind of could be fun. If you can make more of them than they currently are in the script, it could be fun to keep them on. I don't know what, what you think about that. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely a world in which you could do quite a lot of doubling of um like double casting or triple casting so that you keep the company small but you keep but you maintain the same number of characters. Cause I think there is something quite fun and quite nice with the range of characters that we get. And it does sort of feel like yes, they don't all necessarily directly contribute to the the narrative from beginning to end it does feel like they do each 
sort of serve a purpose in in helping to establish our feelings towards the world that we're in um if that makes sense so yeah yeah, i kind of yeah i do like the idea that maybe it is just a case of yeah doubling up roles or i mean you could definitely double pretty much everyone as a robot right so yeah exactly exactly yeah oh that'd be fun if when they die the guy that comes in saying that he's killed them is the person that just went off (laughs) it's just them yeah (laughs) that's really fun actually that's really Mm -hmm. fun Mm-hmm. Especially if there's just like a really small, like minor difference in costume between them as the person and them as a robot as well. Although, do we then accidentally yeah. suggest that it's sort of like vampire deal, where like they they <laughs> or like that like cy- the Cybermen in Doctor Who or whatever. Well, there's loads of parallels with the Cybermen, isn't there? This idea of like humans without the yeah. feeling part and that have gone too far in trying to upgrade themselves and. I mean, those Doctor Who writers are all hacks. That's right. <laughs> I always said it. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, is there anything else we want to kind of touch on? I mean, I guess there is like so much left to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, but at the same time, like if Michael yeah. Billington wishes it, like let's do it. So <laughs> let's make it happen. But is Billington there anything else we want to touch on, like now in this conversation? No, well, probably, yeah. I mean, it is one of those. Let's just go and sit in a pub and talk about it all Sunday because uh, yeah. it's just—it's one of those, isn't it? It's just endless. But no, I think I'm really excited now. I'm like, oh, actually, maybe I should find a writer to to make this a thing. Let's um, do it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and and as you say, Billington wants it to happen so we've got to listen to to old billy well you know what so, let's yeah. uh Get- let's organize that pub trip uh any anyone's allowed to come Great. along we'll we'll let you know when it is uh <laughs> the, all listeners uh and then we'll uh because uh, you know that's just the that's what a podcast is it's like listening to people down the pubs isn't it um but not not this one <laughs> the idea, not right. this one uh, but uh <laughs> but i think they're definitely like there is something to be said for like how long it took us to kind of draw out those key themes from the text and then work out what they are now i think that just shows like just how rich this idea is and and like how ripe it is for a, a production now i'll do it let's do it let's do <laughs> it let's do it all right <laughs> Done. maybe you'll like it um, so let's- if anyone's listening to this who's got loads of money then they can just yeah. give us all of that money and we can make it a thing well is it because is it out of copyright because that will greatly reduce the amount of money <laughs> it must be right it's 100 years yeah, 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 sure, it yeah surely must be yeah let's investigate yeah well that makes it a lot easier and and also like if if we were doing our own adaptation as well that makes it easier as, like the only thing i can think of is like if the adaptation was still in oh the translation you mean yeah, like yeah, that, yeah the translation sorry yeah 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 but if we were doing our own version where we weren't using any of the like same words so we were, we were being careful then we could probably let's just do it i honestly i would i would do it i think this is such a cool idea and i think it's got it's like yeah this has probably been like one of our most like overtly political episodes because there is like so much mm-hmm. to say about right now and what's happening right now and it's like mm. i i think yeah in some ways the play is a bit maybe that's the last thing we could talk about maybe is the play is quite bleak right towards the end and there's like this slight bit of hope at the end but i don't to me it's not clear enough to be a hopeful ending what would you do with the ending if like if we're hitting on like the themes we've talked about about like consumerism and and the, the climate crisis and things like this um what 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 would you want like that ending to look like in order to be like yeah this is quite bleak but there is like this route out for us in the future <laughs> see i might i'm such a pessimist my brain music goes no give them nothing <laughs> just 
end it in the most depressing way possible to try and make them realise that they should stop ordering clothes on prettylittlething.com. I don't know. Sorry if I'm not allowed to advertise on this podcast. Um, I'd say that was not an advertisement. (laughs) No, I mean, no, no. Um, Yeah, let's go with it was an anti-advert. It definitely doesn't me plugging what they make. Yeah, I... Because for me, the way I read that ending is it isn't hopeful at all. Like, I read that yeah. as literally the last man on earth giving up on on humankind. Like, he, he's got nowhere to go. He just essentially accepts his fate. And and that, you know, whether that's for good or bad on for the good of planet Earth or not, it just feels, to me, it feels like a really, I don't see any hope in that ending, really. That's, I suppose, my interpretation of it. So, yeah, I, I think, is it really bad to say that I would want to... <laughs> I would potentially just want them to go crying into the night. I don't no, know. No, I'm, I'm with you, Bobby. I, I think, especially I think, if we've started on yeah. started on this sort of like farcical comedy note, if we descend into this very bleak, like, yeah, it's funny, wasn't it? Sort of thing. Like, um, I I always like <laughs> yeah. that. What What would you do, Caleb? <laughs> what would I do? I there's a part of me that doesn't want to be entirely bleak about it because. Because I think we're approaching like complete saturation on like climate stuff that is just entirely bleak and like it is just the end of the world and that that's like terrifying. I would want to I would want to show that there is like there is a future that isn't awful, but I also don't know how to do that without it feeling false to the story that this is telling. And actually, in a, in a way, I think the story this tells is is like a kind of cautionary tale, right? of like if you see all the signs coming and you do nothing about it until it's too late then then it all goes wrong i guess you could still have that and then a moment of hope if just at that so there's a bit in the epilogue where the androids come in saying quick make something that this is all for we need something to pass this on to we've dug up all the earth and there's this brief argument where the builder is saying to them well go and find some humans there must be some left like go and find them yeah. and make them like the new like population whatever which is sort of something they talk about a little bit throughout the play this yeah. idea of like the new adam and eve or whatever and they're like no we can't we can't find anyone we've looked absolutely everywhere on this entire planet they're all dead um there i guess you could still have everything we're doing we're saying if like but there is like two people left and there's like the glimmer of hope comes from humans rather than androids i'm not sure how that how much that gives you the hope that you wanted caleb i don't know if it does no i i I also i guess i guess that is my concern though is like to me that does then feel a bit just a bit like hokey and a bit like you know like it's it's a little bit too easy and actually like yeah i think a more a, a more possibly more interesting and actually probably actually like a more compelling ending is one in which like i think it's so rare to do these days like we do like robots taking over still in sci-fi and stuff like that but like it always ends with like but there are some humans left or whatever. i mean i guess the modern equivalent right is like more like zombie films we don't really do robots taking over anymore but we do zombie films um and there's always like someone has a cure or whatever but like actually the idea to just do like nah you like you really stuffed it and everyone did die and that's it <laughs> like I, and there, there isn't like hope there I, that is probably a more interesting ending shall we wrap up um there then? perhaps um, we shall yeah. bobby what what do you so obviously you've got pinocchio 
So maybe mm-hmm. do you want to plug that and then also plug any sort of socials and then anything else coming up as well? Yeah, for sure. So um, yes, please come and see Pinocchio. It's on at Chichester Festival Theatre from the 18th of December to the 1st of January. And yeah, I'll probably have lost my mind by then. So just come and buy me a drink um, would be great. And the other thing, which I think I'm allowed to announce because I don't think this podcast is going out until next week from what I know, I think. So um the tour of South Pacific has just been announced. So um, so if you do not live in or near Chichester or the surrounding area, um, you will have a chance to catch South Pacific on tour across the UK um, from September of next year. I think we're doing it. We are doing a little stint in London as well. And we, um, yeah, we're kind of all over the place, but um, yes, come check it out. If you didn't see it at Chichester, even if you saw it at Chichester, it's going to be different and it's beautiful and I'm really proud of it. So come check it out. Um, My socials. I don't really, I mean, I think I've still got a Twitter and a Facebook, but I haven't looked at them for about five years, but um, I do have an Instagram account, which is Bobsky B. Um, I don't know if I need to spell that. Yeah, spell spell it, spell it. (laughs) <laughs> why not <laughs> why did i make it so long um god i think it's b-o-b-s-k-i-b-double-e bobsky b um so yeah, yeah if you want to i on, would on not have known how to spell that without you spelling it out <laughs> uh thank you yeah. so much bobby um yeah i've really thank enjoyed you. that that was I'd, i honestly i i feel like do it i'm i'm like let's go away and, and start writing yeah. and, and try and do something with it this, mm-hmm. this feels very exciting it's ripe for it isn't it Yay, good. <laughs> Caleb, if someone wants to get in touch with you and ask you to write an adaptation of their 1920s play, uh, how can people find you online? Um, <laughs> you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxed at Caleb Lebster. That's C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. Uh, Jake, where can people find you? On- I am on Twitter at Jake underscore Mori. That's M-O-R-R-Y. And I am on instagram at jakey mori that's j-a-k-e-y-m-o-r-r-y um i'm trying all new ways of doing these new socials i've not found one i like yet but there we go just a complete lack of synergy <sighs> where's your personal brand then one was ta- they were both taken on the other one uh oh, it's just oh, there is no branding there is only pain um, <laughs> um but we are maybe you like it productions and this is the maybe you like it podcast you can find us on twitter and instagram at maybe you like it that's with the letter u or on facebook at maybe you like it productions that's with the word u or you can visit our website at www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk and please do rate us and leave a review wherever you get your podcast uh thank you cal very much for this music playing right now and otherwise maybe you like that maybe you didn't That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it, maybe you didn't.